I'm Cassie Hilbron, and this is the Cook It Real Good podcast, bringing you shortcuts to success in the kitchen. episode is all about the joys of cooking for one. We all know the story. You get home from work late, you're alone, and you have zero desire to pull out all the ingredients, pots and pans to make dinner for yourself. Maybe you reach for the bowl of cereal, or perhaps you grab your phone to order takeout. But it doesn't have to be this way. Sure, there are nights when both of those options are just what the doctor ordered, but they aren't a solution every night. And cooking for one doesn't have to be exhausting and time consuming. In today's episode, I chat to Rebecca. Rebecca hosts the podcast Table for One, and she shares all of her tips for making cooking for one easier and more enjoyable. Rebecca is a Salt Lake City based registered dietitian who creates quick and delicious recipes for people who are cooking for one. She is a recipe developer, food photographer and videographer, and runs the food blog Nourish Nutrition Blog that's full of recipes and tips for people cooking for one. If there's one person to talk to us about how to make cooking for just one person better, it's Rebecca. She has so much advice to give and I am so excited for you guys to hear this episode. Today's episode is sponsored by my website, cookitrealgood.com. If you haven't had a chance to check it out yet, it's filled with quick, easy, and healthy recipes with a little indulgence sprinkled in between for good measure. You can also find all of the show notes for today's episode there. Simply head to cookitrealgood.com slash seven. Now let's dive into today's topic. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Me too. But before we get started, would you mind sharing your last cooking fail with us? Yeah, I would. You know, and this is kind of a a hard question for me to answer. And I feel a little bit, I don't know, like ashamed, which is dumb. But I don't, I haven't had many recipes that have been major flops lately. But I do want to say it's probably because... I don't bake a whole lot because I'm cooking for one and um, I just create like super simple recipes. But my biggest and most kind of embarrassing fail was uh, American Thanksgiving last year. So I had friends over, I don't know, a week or two before that. And I brined my turkey, which I hadn't done before. And it was so good. But I used the drippings from that to make... um, to make dressing and uh, to make gravy, excuse me, making gravy. And I used the drippings from that and it was so salty and I could not cut down on that saltiness for the life of me. And everybody was saying, oh, it's fine, whatever. But at the end of the day, like I threw 99.9% of it away. So, oh, no. <laughs> so I learned my lesson, not going to do it again. I'm grateful that I have nice friends who, <laughs> who ate it. Um, but yeah, oh, I still almost a year later can taste it. It was awful. It was so bad. (laughs) It's kind of like you never should try new things on like a, when you have friends over and stuff, because it's almost like Murphy's Law. You will definitely, something will go wrong. (laughs) 
cook. Exactly. But at the same time, I don't cook, you know, it's either me or other people. And so like, what's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a hard trade off, right? Absolutely. I'm not going to make a turkey for myself. Well, no, I was going to say, you're probably not going to make a turkey at any other time of the year, realistically. No, not at all. And that, yeah, that too. But yeah, exactly. It's kind of a weird predicament where it's either all or nothing. Absolutely. Know? Or like maybe it might help to have like a can of gravy in the cupboard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. And even that would taste better than what I made that the, one the day. Sal- yeah. The salty gravy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was awful. Now, I was listen- recently listening to your podcast, Table for One, and mm-hmm. I was so impressed with the concept and the tips that you were giving that I just knew I had to get you on. I regularly cook for two, um, but when my husband is away, I actually really enjoy cooking for just myself. It's kind of my creative license to just eat whatever I want, and I love it. But I also know it can be a pain point for many, and I have lots of family and friends who cook for one and are always looking for ways to make it easier. Yeah. So I think we tend to hear a lot of complaints when people are cooking or trying to cook for one. But I'm sure there's plenty of positives when it comes to cooking for only yourself, um, just like how I enjoy it. So can you share some of the great aspects with us to kick things off? Yeah, totally. I like starting on a positive note. I love that. So like you said, I mean, I think the biggest positive aspect of cooking for one is you really you can make whatever you want. I mean, obviously, you can't just be like, oh, okay, I want to make blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, crank it out like there's other there's other um, parts to that. And it's a process. But at the end of the day, you don't have to um, adjust what it is that you're making or change or whatever based off of anybody else's preferences. And I think that's a cool thing to allow you to be able to eat more of whatever food it is that you like. Another thing that I think is really a good way to look at cooking for one is recognizing the flexibility that goes along with that. And so that can be, again, according to preferences, you know, you can make what it is that you want, or maybe you see an ingredient at the store and, you know, you're like, okay, that looks really good. I could make this from it. And you don't have to worry about, you know, texting other people or seeing what it is, you know, if they would want it. And then also flexibility with time. I think, you know, growing up and when my mom would cook for our family, um, as she did because she liked it and, um, she found it helpful for our family, but you know, we'd be sitting around the table or doing whatever, like mom, when's dinner going to be ready? When's dinner going to be ready? And if it's just you, you don't have anybody (laughs) like breathing down your neck, expecting dinner right away, which is, um, makes things a little bit less stressful. And along those lines too, I, I feel like there's a little bit more space for freedom and experimentation and reducing stress because there's no expectations other than your own. And it's a place to yeah experiment. I love that. It It is uh, kind of stressful when you do have people waiting on you, you're right. And being like, eh, where is dinner? Or even if like kind of back to your example before about trying something new, if you do try something new and it fails, if you're yeah. feeding a few people, it's kind of like, oh no, what am I going to do? Whereas if it's just yourself you can just make some toast and get over it like it'll be fine yeah well and two I mean with food waste one thing that I'm trying to be more aware of is you know using up my food and and finding ways to repurpose it if it's not you know 
as good as I hoped it would be. Yeah. And, you know, four servings versus one serving, like there's a big difference there too. And that is, again, one other way to alleviate stress um, mm-hmm. in, when you're cooking for one. Okay. So now let's cover off some of the challenges that people talk about and that we hear about because there are some. <laughs> so yeah. one that I, I think is common is making too much food. So people don't necessarily know how to cook for one. Oh, it's so true. I think that is the biggest challenge for people because whenever you look on like pretty much all of the uh, cookbooks that you see, recipes that you find online in magazines, wherever it is that you're looking, most likely the recipes that you're seeing are going to be for four to six people. And in all reality, that's going to be serving anywhere between three and I don't know, maybe even eight people, depending on kind of how all things shake out. And that that ends up being three to eight meals that you're eating the exact same thing. And that's, yeah, again, that's a, that's a complaint or a challenge that I hear all of the time that that's, you know, it's, it's overwhelming. And then it makes you not want to cook again, because thinking of cooking as being, you make something and then you eat it for, you know, four to six plus meals. And then you hate it by, you know, day three, and then you just don't want to eat it over again. (laughs) Yeah. That's definitely a big one. I know my dad does that often. (laughs) I'll go to his house and he's made something that is like a server four and he lives by himself. And I just see him and he's like, oh, just eating my shepherd's pie again for the third day. And you're like, oh, that's (laughs) miserable. And actually I needed to get him to listen to your podcast and this episode because he needs to learn how to cook for one. Well, it's, you know, I think for a lot of people, especially after having families, like that's a hard transition to make going from cooking for multiple people then to cooking for one again, especially if you, if, you know, you had children or people in your house, you know, for 20 plus years. I mean, that's a, that's a big transition to go back to. Definitely an adjustment. Are there, Mm -hmm. so are there any other challenges that people complain about with cooking for one? Yeah, I think overall, the biggest challenge is not looking forward to it. So that can manifest in or that could be because of, you know, coming home and then feeling like you have to cook and then eating that alone and just kind of this lonely process that people perceive it to being. Also, you know, trying to do all that meal planning and and at the end of the day, it's just for you. And I'm as I'm saying this, I'm you know, air quotes, as I'm saying, just because it is a perception as well. But a lot of people like to cook for others. It's a way to share. It's it's a way to connect with people. It's a way to, sh- you know, show that you love them or that you care about them. And and it's easier to do that when it's for somebody else than it is for yourself. And I think that is another I guess a lot of this comes down to shifting your mindset about these challenges. But they're very real. And um, it, a lot of people experience that. And then also kind of along the lines of, you know, those recipes making larger, um, uh, more servings, you know, dealing with leftovers and figuring out what to do with the leftover actual meal that you made, but also the leftover ingredients. So, you know, you buy, you buy a can of some sort of, you know, maybe chicken broth, trying to figure out what to do with the leftover chicken broth. You buy stalks of celery and then, you know, you just use one of them because that's what most recipes call for. And then you've got all of this extra celery and the list goes on and trying to figure out what to do with all of that. So you're not wasting that food and that money. Absolutely. And it is funny that we do sort of see it like that, like, 
like, oh, it's just for me, so I won't bother putting in that much effort. Like, it's kind of counterproductive because we are important. It's important to look after ourselves and it's important to feed ourselves well. And Mm -hmm. I don't know about everyone else, but when I cook a killer meal, I'm excited to eat it myself. I want the delicious food. So we do deserve that. But it's funny that our mindset is just like, oh, well, if it's just me, then I'll just go to something like quick and easy, like toast or something. Yeah, which definitely has a place. You know, we have times where things are really busy and we might not have time or the desire to cook. But at the end of the day, I feel like um, at least as far as people that I talk to, a lot of us really like to cook. And so why deprive ourselves from that ability to spend time in the kitchen when it's, again, quote unquote, just for ourselves? Yeah. And look, I see you talking a lot about enjoying cooking when I'm watching your Instagram stories. And I think that this concept is an important one because yeah. I can tell the difference between a meal that I've just like thrown together angrily in frustration because I've got to make food. And then if I make a meal with what my mum would say with love, <laughs> I I think you can taste the difference, but it's also a matter of your mood as well. Like, I don't think that we all want to see cooking every night be a battle. We want it to be fun and enjoyable. How how do we go about making it more fun and enjoyable? Yeah, so I, I think it, it, this can go a couple of different ways. So for me and then people that I talk to, I think the biggest things are making it easy and making it accessible um, are helpful and then also making it fun. So to make it easier and helpful, and more helpful. Having a well-stocked pantry is my tip. (laughs) And I think that's the most helpful thing because let's be real here. I mean, most, at least for myself, most of the, most of the time I'm not, I don't have anything planned. I might plan one or two meals during the week, but then there's other meals that time. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to like look around and see what I have on hand and throw something together. And there's so many ways to prepare something in just like 15 minutes, which is totally doable and, and will take as much time as it'll take to go and stop for or order some sort of takeout. And I think that's, you know, again, just kind of shifting um, that mindset is really helpful. And then again, like I said, making it more fun. I found that just listening to music or podcasts, audiobooks, or watching a TV show while cooking is something to kind of take your mind off of it or to bring something in that you enjoy to then let you feel and enjoy the cooking process. So I don't know if does that answer the question that you were thinking? Absolutely. And I think that listening to music or a podcast, podcasts have completely changed my time in the kitchen. Like I can remember being in the kitchen and like, I love a dance party in the kitchen, but sometimes, you know, three meals a day, you're not really going to want to keep listening to music sometimes. And I find podcasts are just such a good way. You can listen to them for enjoyment or you can find educational ones. And I'm just constantly have one going, even cleaning the house, but I do find it a huge help in the kitchen. I'm not as bored with all that time that I'm having to spend in there. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think, and I think too, cause for myself, the hardest part of cooking is getting like just getting started. And so if I have something to look forward to, like, Oh, I've been wanting to listen to whatever or watch whatever, then that's something to look forward to, to make it, you know, to kind of break down the big barrier for me and getting started. And so, yeah, it's really something to look forward to. 
That is a good point. I, I usually save, um, I think you're a fellow armchair. I save my armchair expert <laughs> yeah. for when I'm in the kitchen and I get really excited. I'm like, I can't wait to listen to this. Can't wait to do my cooking today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think at least for me, I have to be a little bit, um, I don't think careful is the right word, but I, I want to be intentional with what I'm listening to for the fact of if I'm making something that I am like I'm not following a recipe, I can listen to anything while I'm making it. But if I am following a recipe, usually kind of like calmer music until at least I get in the groove of things. Cause I have a hard time remembering like amounts and things like that. And so instead of having to refer back to that recipe a hundred times, I like to listen to something a little bit calmer. Cause yeah, I mean, you just get lost in those conversations and which is awesome. But at the same time, if I'm trying to pay attention to a recipe, it's not the most productive. So I guess just giving another idea if that's if those are distracting, because a good podcast is probably going to be distracting. That's such a good point. It is a really, really good point, because you're right that if you're trying something new, maybe have something quiet and (laughs) non-distracting. But for most of the stuff that I'm making in the kitchen, you know, you just go on autopilot. So it's nice to have something else happening. Yeah, totally. Well, I guess along those lines. So what are the podcasts that you listen to? Because I I love have I love being introduced to different podcasts by other people. Well, my favorites. So I love Armchair Expert and I love um, my favorite murder. I'm a bit of a true crime fanatic. I've tried that one. I should try it again because I've it's been recommended multiple times to me. I think they are. it's an either love or hate type of situation. Um, Uh I listen to a lot of like food blog related podcasts. Oh, I also listen to, um, terrible. Thanks for asking. Now it's really strange because like, (laughs) it's all about, I guess, bad things that happen to people, but (laughs) I find it just really interesting to hear people's like perspective on life and, I love the host, um, Nora McInerney. I've read all of her books and it's really good. So yeah, if you want to give that one a go, it's worth listening to. What are your favorites? Yeah, I'll, I'll check that one out. So right now I'm going to open up my phone because I'm trying to remember. Yeah, the I just did the same head. thing. <laughs> <laughs> so Milk Street is one of my favorite cooking ones. So Christopher Kimball, who started America's Test Kitchen, this is his new thing. So it's like simple easier global recipes. And I love that one. I also armchair expert. I listen to all the time and then the history chicks. So just two women get together and, and talk about, um, women throughout history and they have lots of different subjects that they talk about that are really interesting. And then a couple of news ones. And I think that's it. That history chick sounds really interesting. Yeah, I really like it. I, it's the one that I would recommend most to people out of all the ones that I listen to. So awesome. All right. Yeah. I'll have to give it a listen. And hopefully you guys have got some ideas of some more podcasts after you've listened to the cook it real good podcast and table for one. Then there's yeah, more. exactly. Yeah. There are, there's so many options out there and it's fun to learn something new because and and especially to know from somebody else as opposed to just oh this is really popular so I should try it and then you know you feel mediocre about it (laughs) yeah all right so can you share with us some of your tips for how to make cooking for wine just easier in general yeah so I think my biggest tip is to have a well-stocked pantry and I pantry sounds better than kitchen but really what I mean is kitchen so like pantry items I in the freezer and in the fridge. So I'm a huge, like I kind of said before, a huge realist. So, you know, I don't expect for myself or anybody else to have 
meals planned out and, you know, those expectations all the time. And so instead of feeling like guilty or feeling like you should be, you know, making something involved or whatever, just, you know, know that it's okay to, to look around your kitchen and eat cereal or throw, you know, a burrito bowl together with beans that you have on hand or rice that's frozen in the freezer. Um, I, and I can share the link with you, but I have a, a pantry list as well as recipe ideas to make something out of what you have in your pantry. But I think that's super helpful because yeah, I mean, it's not realistic to grocery shop all the time and all of that. My next tip is to shop at home first. So what I mean by that is looking around, you know, looking in your fridge first to see if there's any vegetables that have been in there for a little bit or might go start to go bad soon. Or, you know, maybe something you bought recently that you really want to use up. And that helps save money and save time. And also, like, you might realize that you don't have to go to the grocery store because you can use what you've got on hand. I also find it really helpful especially again for people who are cooking for one is to choose recipes based off of ingredients. And so, like I said before, you know, one challenge that people who are cooking for one face is with small, you know, fewer number of servings comes less of whatever it is that you buy that you're actually able to use. So, you know, like, for example, I have a bunch of tomatoes that I got from my garden. And so I'm making pasta sauce this week, and I'm making a tomato pie, which I haven't done before, but I'm using those tomatoes in a couple of different recipes, but at the same time, they're different recipes. So they're not very similar and it's something, you know, it's not going to get quite as boring. So I find that to be really helpful. And I, and another thing that I, I think it's kind of unique to my perspective with cooking is really focusing on repurposing meals and ingredients. So kind of, you know, repurposing the ingredients using, you know, making a couple of recipes with that, but also repurposing more uh, made components of your meals. So I guess, for example, you could, um, I posted a recipe recently that was for I don't remember what it's called exactly, but like a wild rice and butternut squash, um, warm salad. And, you know, I mean, you're making a butternut squash, you have to roast it. And especially in the late summer, early fall, like I'm not going to turn on the oven and heat up my whole apartment just to, to make a small amount of squash. I'm going to batch cook and make a bunch of squash and then use that just like leave it pretty simple and then use it in different recipes. So, you know, repurposing those ingredients can be cooking it up and then using it in different recipes or preparing it a little bit more and then still using it in different recipes. And that's kind of a way to prepare for and smartly use leftovers without, and then also like not eat the same thing over and over again. Cause I think it's hard to find that balance of saving time in the kitchen and not cooking every single night but also not eating leftovers day after day after day. So those are my big tips for uh, making cooking for one easier. I think that they have tips that could go universally as well. They're, so, yeah, totally. they're really helpful. And uh, with what you said about the repurposing leftovers, I've been thinking a bit about that lately as well, because I am not someone who can meal prep you know, a couple of dishes at the start of the week and eat them over and over again. I would absolutely hate that. Like two is my absolute maximum. But mm-hmm. I could make something and have it in different ways. So, you know, I could make a chili and have it as a chili 
bowl one day or I could have it in a burrito the next day or I could have it on top of a baked potato. That's just three examples off the top of my head. So if you had like a base dish and use it in different ways, or like you said, get some butternut squash or we call it butternut pumpkin here and you mix it in with all these different ways. It could be, you're, you're right, a salad or a veggie bowl or even just a side on a plate with some protein. Like, it's absolutely fine. So when you are being creative, it opens up a bit more ways to use the food that you have and you can reduce food waste and you don't have to be cooking all the time as well. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember because you talked about this on one of your recent episodes. I think it was the one with, um, the blogger of budget bites, but you talked about how it kind of forces you to get creative because you're just thinking a little bit differently. Yeah. Is it that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's been my experience too. It's been like, I feel like I'm so much more creative in the kitchen because I, I don't know, it's just a different way of looking at cooking. And also it just, I mean, I generally feel pretty happy about what it is that I'm eating because I have more experience like making use of what I have. And again, it kind of forces that creativity, which in the end is a really productive and fun thing. It is. It's it. And you find some new favorite meals that you never thought that you would enjoy doing things oh, that so way. True. So true. Yeah, I totally agree. Is there like a knack for scaling down recipes that are aimed at more people? So like you said, the standard recipe is between four to six serves, which realistically could be anywhere from three to eight. And you're right there. Like some that, some that I make, I go, this is feeding <laughs> a football <laughs> team. Like what have I made here? So um, if you do find a recipe and you are wanting to cook for one, is there you know, a method to scaling it down or do you recommend making the full serve and freezing it or? Oh, that's a really good question. So that's, it's actually an interesting question because as I'm talking to people who are cooking for one, that's a big, um, issue that they have with recipes is that it, they, they don't know how to cut it in half and I'm not good with math. Like I can't, I can't do arithmetic in my head, but when it does come to cooking, like that's kind of a natural thing for me. And I think it's, you know, like my, um, education and background and, and being pretty comfortable in the kitchen. But I, I would say the easiest way to do that is to just cut it in half. So, for me personally, I usually cook for two. So that means I'll have leftovers, whether it's like exactly what it is that I had or have leftover ingredients and then kind of make something else out of it. And again, that helps. So I'm not, you know, one less meal to have to cook from start to finish. And, and again, that's also easier because you're, you know, you have a cup of whatever ingredient, you're just cutting that in half or whatever. And that's a little bit easier math than cutting it in four. Yeah. <laughs> and well, and I think too, I mean, I think all of the things that you said are totally applicable and would work. It's just a matter of what your needs are. So if you have, you know, a season or times that are coming up that are going to be really busy, like, yeah, freeze, freeze part of it. And that's going to save you a lot of time down the line. But if you don't have much freezer space or you live 
live with roommates and you really don't have any freezer space, that's not going to be an option. And so, yeah, I just, I say just in general, like cutting it in half and then tasting along the way. So you're making a sauce, um, taste it. I wouldn't recommend tasting raw meat, but all of those other steps you can definitely taste and kind of adjust as you feel like you need to, or if you're not quite sure or comfortable in the kitchen to know like, Oh, what else do I need? Google things or kind of just play around with it. And that's just part of the experience. And, and what's the worst, like you end up with a little bit of extra, I guess I have my mind on marinade or sauces. So you have a little bit of extra of that. That's fine. Then you can use it in a different way. So I, yeah, cutting things in half is a good place to start and then kind of play from there. I have really enjoyed this chat and I really think that it's going to help a lot of people because like I said, I actually know a lot of people who are cooking for one and I have never had any very good tips for them because I'm terrible at it. Like I, (laughs) whatever I make, I always seem to have too much of and when I do cook for myself, I tend to make things that are naturally for one. So I'll make like a pasta dish that I can easily make just one serve of, or I'll make like a veggie stir fry or something that I can easily make one serve of. But that's limited if you're only cooking for yourself. You then don't have a whole host of things that you could make like soups or stews or casseroles, whatever it is. You should not have those things just because a recipe says it's serving four. So I really think that this is going to help a lot of people. So thank you for coming on. Before you go, could you let my listeners know where to find you? Yeah, absolutely. So So my podcast is Table for One. And you can look for that on Stitcher, on Apple Podcasts, and I think Google Pod, Google Play or something too. And it's just, I say a blonde girl in the kitchen, like mixing something up is, is the cover photo. So see that and you can click on that. Also, my food blog is called Nourish Nutrition Blog. So that's just one word. You can check out recipes and cooking tips for one. And then also on Instagram, I feel like that's usually the easiest way to to get to all of the other resources. I guess I should have said that one first, but that's okay. So Instagram, it is a combination of my blog handle and the table for one. So it's NNC underscore table for one. Um, And that's on Instagram again. And I think that's most of it. Awesome. And I will link those in the show notes so people can easily click through to find you. Thank you so much again. I really enjoyed this chat. Me too. It was great chatting. Thanks so much for having me on. I had a great time chatting with Rebecca. Even if you rarely cook for yourself, I know that there's a lot of helpful tips in this episode that will help you regardless. I loved Rebecca's encouragement to make cooking fun by putting on some great music or a podcast. I honestly cannot be in the kitchen without either of these these days. Now, don't forget to check out today's show notes for all the links that we discussed. It's cookitrealgood.com slash seven. That's it from me. Have a great week and don't just cook, cook it real good. Bye. (laughs) 